Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Thanks for joining us uh, once again today. We uh we love to have you with us. Love to have you hear the wisdom and knowledge of our great guests. And my next guest is also a returning uh, guest with me today. Uh, he is Patrick Renoisie, uh from SalesBrain, and uh, he's been with us several times. We talked about we've covered some interesting ground. I think Patrick, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining me once again today. Hey, hi, Bill. Good to be with you. Pleasure. Uh, you know, we we've talked about. Uh, the persuasion code, the science of human persuasion. Uh, we've talked about uh, how people can learn to be uh, to, to harness that information and all the research that you've done and uh, in your book, the persuasion code. Um, and uh, I, I'd love to uh, get deeper on some of that today. Um, I have uh, I have a particular question to start out with with you, uh, and that is um, we've talked about how we persuade others. Let's talk a little bit how we how we persuade ourselves. <laughs> that might be difficult, but it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I was listening in your show, and uh, the previous person was talking about the mission statement, and I have a very very strong uh, feeling about what the mission statement should include. I mean, I I pretty much agree with what the previous uh, person was talking about. I think, however, that included in that mission statement, we need to find the top three reasons why the customer should buy. Because it always starts with the customer and it always starts with the why. So yes, everything she said is absolutely right. It's gotta be simple, it's gotta be memorable. And in fact, we, when, we, when we coach customers on how to do that, we include one of the 188 cognitive biases to make sure that the mission statement is easily remembered. And actually, it's actually a bias called the rhyming as a reason effect. So here is what happened. Uh, I'm sure you remember the story of O.J. Simpson, right? And he got acquitted when a lot of things were pointing against him. But the defense attorney chose that sentence, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And you know it rhymes. And that helps people when something rhymes, when it's really easy to remember, when the music behind the words becomes uh, interesting, People believe it, and people remember it more. So in the mission statement, we invite people to include also the top reasons why the customer should buy. And these top reasons should be spelled in a way that makes it either rhyme or that has an alliteration, like you repeat the same word three times. Uh, and, and we are really, really adamant that 90% of all mission statements are not properly written. Yeah, uh, it seems like um, 
in some mission statements I've seen, I've seen quite a few of them in, in small businesses. Uh, they go, they're they're too long. They they just keep going. You know, they they keep explaining. Um, uh, they're they're superfluous. They 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 say they start off strong and then they they because we do this, because we do this, because we do that. Um, what's an optimal, you, rhyming is a great idea, what's an optimal length for something like a mission statement, do you think, to, to be memorable and and, uh, and hold yes. that persuasion? So then the question would be, how quickly can you express the why your customer should buy from you? So let me give you an example. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a brand, and I'm going to ask you, why would people buy that particular brand? We're going to start with the why, and then we, we're going to see how we can build the mission statement based on that. So if I tell you Volvo, why would people b- want to buy a Volvo? Safety. That's right. And that's what most people would say. You know, 95% of people would associate the brand of Volvo with the concept of safety. And it's because, you know, Volvo has invested about 3 or $4 billion in advertising in the last 60 years to create that memory in your brain. Now, if you're Volvo, your mission statement should be very short, and it should just, it should just say, Volvo is the only car company that is 100% focused on your safety. And when you say that, that's the mission statement of Volvo. And it's why? Because there is only one claim. There is only one reason people should buy Volvo, and that's safety. So... You know, Volvo is the most famous example that people typically associate. But when we work with customers, for example, we worked with a law firm in Los Angeles, and their claims are protect your time, protect your dime, protect your peace of mind. Right? That's the three reasons why companies should engage that particular law firm. So we are using different techniques to make it memorable, to make it mnemonic. We're doing an alliteration on the word protect. And then we're using the word you, so protect your time. And then we're using the rhyme in time, dime, peace of mind. So we're using all the techniques in the book to make that memorable, to create a music in it. Because if you remember my first talk, right, I talk about the unconscious brain or what we call the primal brain. And that brain is not smart enough to understand the words, but it will understand the music and the reason behind the words. So that particular law firm, its mission statement should be, we are the only law firm, and that's the beauty of it, is when you create those claims and when they're so unique, you don't really need to have anything unique about your value product, your product or services. It's only what you say about why people should buy from you that becomes unique. So when they say, you know, we are the only law firm that will protect your time, protect your dime, protect your peace of mind, that's it. That's their mission statement. And that mission statement is equally important for the outside world in order to convince customers to join it as it is for the internal world when they recruit new lawyers. Right, right, right. It, it, you know, it makes, it, it makes sense. And I think, I think you know when you see it, um, but I think you also know when you don't see it, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, when, well when it's like, for most, I mean, yeah, if you think about it, most companies, they say, we deliver fantastic products and services with very high quality. We do that with a high level of integrity, and we've been doing it for a combined total of 400 years, right? And you hear that right. all the time. Right. The problem is right. it's not unique. 
It's not exciting. It's not memorable. And at the end of the day, it's not a clean way to spell out the why the customer should choose you. So I believe that mission statements should start with the why the customer should, should buy. Yes, yes, yes. And, and yeah, how many, how many banks do we see that say we compete on service? You know, it's, well, well, who doesn't, you know, who, right. It's, that's not, that's not unique. Um, Maybe the first person that said it was unique and everybody else that came after uh, it's just blah, blah, blah at some point. And it's, you know, it's getting Patrick more and more uh, there's more and more messaging happening everywhere we look. I mean, we were talking about uh, with the last guest also how one of the programs they put together for advertising is now in the movie theater. You just can't get away right from from messaging so it's really important to to clear out that space so what i what i like hearing from you is that you're not talking necessarily to to the person's face you you need to be messaging to that that deep down uh what do we call it yes. the, the lizard brain right that yeah. is going to remember yes. the where, right. where stories go the place where stories go that's correct that's correct you know human beings are 10% rational, 90% emotional, and that emotional world that drives our behavior is really our unconscious. So deep down, whatever message you create needs to appeal more to our unconscious than our conscious. So that's why, again, finding a very simple way to express it. I mean, in the case of Volvo, it boils it down to one simple word. It's just safety, right? Uh, in, in the case of that law firm that I was talking to you about, when they say protect your time, protect your dime, protect your peace of mind, at the end of the day, it boils it down to one simple concept of protection. Now, of course, if you're about to choose a lawyer, guess what your unconscious is afraid about? Your unconscious is about afraid, it's afraid of losing that lawsuit. So using the concept of protection and repeating it three times, in your claims, which means that whenever they talk, they probably say that, you know, 100 times a day, the sheer repetition of that concept makes it more believable mm. for the unconscious. Aha. So the rhyme is carrying the, the deeper message of protection in that case. Correct. Correct. And again, you know, scientists, psychologists have discovered this. It's called the rhyming as a reason effect. And it's one of the 188 cognitive biases that drives human decision, which, again, is completely irrational. But although we are irrational, scientists have studied the irrationality in our judgments and in our decisions. And so it's really important for people to understand that at the end of the day, all of this can be summarized into one concept, which is that it's our primal brain that drives our behavior. So amazingly enough, you know, if I go back to your original question, which was, you know, how can we change ourselves? How can we alter our own opinion, our perception of the world? Well, we have to be open to use outside proofs, which tells us that our own judgment is completely wrong. I see. I mean, there um, is a truth out but, there somewhere, no matter what, right? And we have to be open to that truth. But the problem is that we see the world through the lens. I will give you an example, which is possibly the best and simplest example that I can give you. And I do this test sometimes in front of 100 people. I say, I'm going to divide the room into half. Half of the people will be asked to do something. 
the other half of the people will be asked to do something else. And we're going to be judging how what you know or what you think about something impacts your perception of the world, right? And we ask people to smell a little box. So there is a box, and in this box there is something. They cannot see what there is in there. They can only evaluate the smell, right? And guess what? All the people are going to be smelling the exact same thing. I can prep their brain by believing that what they smell is either really good or really bad. In other words, I can predict that exactly half of the room will give it a really, really bad rating, like, you know, on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being a very appealing smell, 1 being an awful smell. Right? I can bias the room, half of the room, to exactly say that that smell is going to be a 1 or a 2. In other words, it's a terrible smell, and the other half of the room will say it's a great smell. And at the end of the day, they're smelling the same thing. So you know what I do? I mean, I'm not the one who did that test, but I've repeated it, and I can do it, right? Mm-hmm. So here is what happens. People were smelling Parmesan. So in that box, there was a really nice Parmesan. It's an expensive you know, Italian cheese. But half mm-hmm. of the room was told, you're going to smell an expensive Italian Parmesan. Everybody rated it an 8, 9, or a 10. The other half of the room, guess what? They were just being told, guess what, guys? You're going to be smelling used socks. So when people believe they're smelling used socks, although they're smelling a really, really expensive Italian Parmesan, everybody rated it a one or a two. And it's like this for everything in our lives. In other words, we don't see an absolute perfect image of the outside world. It is filtered by our own perception and by our own beliefs. And by the way, if you take that to the political situation that we have in our country right now, that explains a lot of things. Why is it that we have sure half of the people that see the world one way and the other half that see it another way, right? So what you need to do when you want to change your own behavior, you have to clean your own glasses. You have mm. to look at the world the way it really is. You have to eliminate your own biases. And now, very good. as you say, very, very, very hardly done, right? Yeah, yeah, because nobody... Nobody likes to admit that they might be wrong about the way they might be looking at something. Um, uh, that's dangerous, you know. We're in in every bit of our life, uh, perception is reality. You know, our our own perception is our own reality, and uh, a lot of times we stick to it. So it it, it takes a, a lot of. Uh, uh, a guts to basically say, be able to say, "Hey, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I need to look at this a different way." Um, because you know why? And Nobody wants to challenge their own assumption, and there is a very simple reason for that. It's because it forces you to change. And uh, scientists have demonstrated that change, any change, you know, the change could be uh, changing from drinking a cup of coffee in the morning to drinking tea. You know, it's a fairly simple change or having to brush your teeth every day, right? Any form of mm-hmm. change to the brain is the equivalent of torture. So people don't want to change. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have to be willing to create that own painful situation for yourself and think that, again, you are smelling Parmesan or you are smelling a dirty pair of socks. Right. <laughs> but that's really difficult. To, that's really difficult. So that's, you know, this idea that every perception that we have of the world depend on our own five senses plus everything we know about the world. So the example that I gave you was for 
what we know about the world. In other words, if I know I am smelling Parmesan, I know that smell is going to be good. Right? But, but our senses are also interdependent. In other words, what people taste, it depends upon what they see or what they hear. And I'll give you an example. This is a test that was done by another set of um, researchers, and they have people rank the saltiness of oysters. So people were in a room, there were five different kinds of oysters, and they were asked, oyster number one on the scale from one to 10, how salty is it? Oyster number two on the scale from one to 10, how salty is it, et cetera. And people thought they were there to taste the saltiness. But in reality, what they didn't know is they were doing this test and we were checking the impact of the ambient music in the room. So there, there were several rooms and in one of the rooms there was just no noise. In the other room, they were playing music through the speakers and the sound that they were playing was just the general sound that you hear in a city, like city traffic, sirens going on. Mm -hmm. In the third room, there was just the, the sound of uh, the wind, right? So it was like in the forest and people, and guess what? In the last room, they were playing the sound of waves. And when people hear waves, although they don't know about it because they were not informed that they were there, right? the perception of the saltiness of oysters increases. But the thing is, it is not an illusion. In other words, they put then the people inside an fMRI and they check. And people really perceived that the oyster were more salty just because of what they were hearing. So in, in wow. fact, there is a whole branch of there is a whole branch of marketing called multi-sensory marketing. And uh, that's what people study for that. It's a fascinating world as as more and more uh uh, of you listeners are trying to figure out how you can become different. I mean, I talk to a lot of, of my listeners, Patrick, and they're saying, you know, uh, one of our biggest problems is how to, how to differentiate these days, how to be, how to have more persuasion. You've written a book uh, all about that called Persuasion Code. And more importantly, you're available as a Vistage speaker and, of course, as a consultant um, for, for or businesses that want to do better in this area, um, at what would people find? Let me ask you this question: What would people find that would be interesting at your website, which is salesbrain.com? Well, they find information on the four steps that they need to follow if they want to impact that unconscious brain. So, you know, we explain to people, we teach people how that unconscious or primal brain works, and then we translate that into various actions that they need to do to improve their sales and marketing. But again, at the end of the day, every concept can be summarized into the fact that we are not rational decision-making machines. We are emotional decision-making machines. And uh, although we believe that emotions are not predictable, they are, and that's what we do. We teach people a rational way to impact the irrational brain. It's fascinating. So, so instead of uh, you listeners out there, instead of hitting your head against the wall, learn how to appeal to the to the uh, to the rational brain, um, to the emotional part of the brain, rather, and and, uh, and then it can be justified. Uh, very, very, very interesting stuff. I love your examples. You always uh, break it down for us and make it easy for us to listen to. Uh, have you been? Do you do you have uh, a lot of speaking engagements lined up? And how's the book doing? Yes, yeah, so our book, first of all, received the uh, Axiom Publishing Award, so we were very happy with that. And uh, we are now... Congratulations. It into, yes, thank you. We, we've got it now in 12 languages, 
Amazingly enough, the first country in the world that bought our book, guess which one it is? There are two countries that first <laughs> decided to publish our book locally. And one of them, the first one was China, and the second one is Russia. I think that, that should make a lot of people laugh right now, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yes, I know, I know. In fact, my partner is in China right now, and I told him about the danger of going there, but uh, you know, we're, we're seeing if, if we can work with uh, people that are not really respecting intellectual property too much, so I'm a little concerned. But, um, so yes, our book is being translated in 12 languages, and you know, we're traveling the world to teach people that, uh, you know, how to impact the primal brain. Well, again, it's called Persuasion Code, and it's available on Amazon, of course, anywhere else you might find uh, great books. Uh, Patrick Renoisie from SalesBrain, thank you so much once again for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and I look forward to the next time we speak. Thanks, Bill. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 